You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Today's program is going to be a lot of fun. I am not going to spend too much time talking to you on the front end because I know what you're all here for. What are they going to say about Hollow Earth? And I'm going to tell you something. We're going to say a lot. (laughs) Just you hold on to your horses, though, because I want to tell you this. I appreciate our supporters. Those of you that listen to this program and tell other people about it, I appreciate you. Those of you that listen to this program and so into us financially, I appreciate you. And those that are praying for us and praying for our heavenly mandate to be established, I'm grateful for you. For those of you that listen to this podcast and pray against us or maybe do witchcraft against us, we're praying for you. Now, let me say this. If you have been getting a lot out of this platform, you've been devouring our prayers, you have been enjoying our podcast, maybe sometimes you even join in on the Fireplace Church. Did you know that everything that we are running has a financial cost? Not only that, let me tell you, there are some amazing promises in the Word of God associated with giving. And I want to invite you to become a supporter of Bride Ministries if this is a platform where you have been feeding regularly. Help us to advance the vision. We have a lot of cool things we are trying to build. Folks, the Bride Ministries Institute is going up. As a matter of fact, we are adding the next class, Realms of Jesus Christ. And next month, we'll be adding a third, and then a fourth, and then a fifth, and then a sixth, and then a seventh. We're going to be adding classes throughout the year. And um, we're building this thing out to educate people and ultimately to release an army of individuals that know how to deal in the realms of spiritual warfare, inner healing, deliverance, and DID coaching. And so, look, that's just one component of how we are adding to this platform and making more and more available. I do want you guys to keep in mind, Prayers That Shake Heaven and Earth is available And we are shipping from our website. It's going to be available in different places. Uh, We've got a lot of questions about ebooks. There will be an ebook version available, but just not yet. Why? Because we want you to get your hands on the physical copy. That's the whole point. So you can put it in your purse, you can put it in your car, you can put it next to your bedstand, and you can have all of those prayers on hand in a conveniently packaged product. How cool is that? So, With that said, I'm going to go straight into the program. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Folks, get ready for another adventure down the rabbit hole on discovering the truth with Dan Duvall. Now, the weirdness never really stops here at Bride Ministries. I work with survivors, as some of you know, and so therefore the weirdness never stops. Now, in the process of some of the things that we've been getting into, there's been a subject that has been coming up more recently um, in, in, in the lives of a number of people. 
And it's the subject of inner earth or hollow earth. And for some people, this is a subject of inquiry, something that is fun conversation. It's one of those, well, what if this is true? And we're beginning to find it's not a what if, it's a, well, since this is the case, therefore these are now the issues we're beginning to address and the memories that are beginning to present. Now, I'll open the conversation with just a quick story and then I'm going to introduce my guest. But I was sitting down in a session with someone not too long ago and I asked them, well, where is your human spirit? And the, the human spirit was not present. And so I went after them in the spirit realm and uh, used some techniques to to get their human spirit back. And when the spirit was present and had been retrieved from its region of captivity, let me say that again, region of captivity, I asked the spirit, hey, um, where have you been? Where were you locked up? Why were you not present? They, they told me, well, I was being held in a prison inside of the sun inside of the earth or inner earth sun. Okay, mind blown. Thank you, Jesus, for yet another, you know, abyss that I'm going to have to figure out now. Uh, and, and, and then, <laughs> not too long after that, I'm talking to... Robert Van Dryst Mitchell. And he's been on my podcast a number of times. We've been working on a series called The Depths of the Illuminati. And he's done a number of other programs with me. And today he's joining me to discuss the inner earth or hollow earth because guess who has some memories about that realm? Him. And uh, Robert is a, uh, an Illuminati defector. He comes from bloodlines that trace back into a whole number of identified Illuminati families. He has quite an extensive set of experiences. And to get the rest of his stories, this is the first time you're hearing him, please go back and listen to some of his other programs done with me on Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. But, you know, Robert, it's so good to have you back on the program. Thank you, Daniel, and it's good to be back again for, I think, the eighth or ninth time now. And, yeah, this subject is certainly, again, uh, one what is certainly a new Pandora box, not only for people like myself, but for a lot of others out there. And my experience also confirms uh, the things that a former admiral... Um, uh, what was his Bird? name? Bird? Yeah, Bird talked about, or he was not allowed to talk about, but he had his own experiences after the war. And uh, some of his stories are maybe known by the public. But it is certainly a subject that I believe will have valid to our current society, especially that we're going to see more interaction between our 3D world and the inner earth uh, world and its uh, beings. And I also believe we already have seen inklings of this through uh, Hollywood and writers who has written about the inner earth. Uh, one of the writers uh, was uh, the one that wrote uh, in the 70s. He wrote the Hobbit series and, and all the others. Yeah, uh, uh, Tolkien. Yeah, Tolkien. 
who wrote the Lord of the Rings, what in a way was about the inner earth and some of those realms. So we already see with this that we have been prepared for this for a long time. And also what people have to know, in this case with Tolkien, uh, and also see Lewis, see uh, Lewis, because they both wrote about it in different ways, is that they also were high-level uh, masons. And the, and the high level of Freemasons are certainly aware about what we will talk about today, about the inner earth or hollow earth. On that point, I, I just have to um, um, pause here and, and just make a comment. The thing about the writings of Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, who, who really has, I mean, C.S. Lewis particularly had written some really wonderful writings very well respected but the 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 narnia series the uh, lord of the rings series there's something fascinating about those books that appeals to so many people as weird as it sounds re reading about fawns and uh you know, dwarves and elves and this. It, it's its like it hits a chord with people that we don't really know how to explain. It's just like these stories are so fascinating, we just want to eat them up. And I have questioned, is it based on a deeper truth? And with some of the stuff that's beginning to come up with the hollow earth that we're now connecting with, the answer seems to be, yeah. It, <laughs> they are based on deeper truths, maybe a reality that is on the other side we haven't acknowledged. And um, I want to start here, Robert. Um, a few weeks ago, you had a part that began to come forward and share a whole bunch of things. Why don't you just walk us into that and what that meant for you. All right. So, yeah, because I remember it was the last year, it was two weeks ago, tomorrow, two weeks ago, uh, that this subject came up. Uh, you were talking with an author of mine called Claire, if I'm correct by the name. And she knows about my experiences going back to around 1970. If I'm yeah, 1970, 1971. So I was around six or seven years old, the experience that she has been talking to you about. And that is also connected again to the Windsors uh, that I'm quite familiar with. I, I spent more time at, at the estate of the, the Windsors than I spent at, uh, at, my, at the place where I was born, or at least by the woman that I was born with. And, but to come back on this, my first experience connected to the inner earth was connected with so well Castle of Balmoral or underneath Castle of Balmoral and, and the Winter Castle. And underneath there is deep down there's a dungeon, what kind of room, what is circular in form and that has has a kind of a, a beam coming out of a ceiling if if you stand in the middle of the floor. And that seemed to trunk able to transport you, uh, yeah, what I said, but seemed to be either an other realm or in this case, but was what was part of, in, of the inner earth. 
And what I noticed the time that it happened is depending on the location we ended up with, it is also connected with certain patterns, geographical patterns that came uh, came up on on the floor in light in light form. And I got the feeling that depending on what geographical pattern came out, that also brought us to various locations. And some some of the geographical geo uh, geoforms that we saw looks like some of the runes that we have in uh, that we have in Norway. And some of the inner earth places, uh, but I think, but I believe, but I have witnessed, could connect it. So uh, could very well connect it to uh, what is known in Norwegian folklore as a Bahala, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. With the Norse gods, and I, I believe that or some of the origins in this case of the. Norse God certainly goes back to, to the inner earth. As we have like uh, Thor, uh, Odin, and, and all the other uh, names of their uh, their gods and goddesses. And some of the beings that I have seen, they look like very like the Nordics, especially like some of the ancient gods or, of the Scandinavian countries. But some of the patterns that came came up out of the floor, yeah, they had like the form of ruins, runes. Now, but but it's one of the ancient alphabets, as some would call in in Norway, what is seen as a kind of an alphabet. That is fascinating. And, and yeah, go ahead. Now, yeah, and, and the size of beings that I have seen. Some are just between eight and nine feet tall, and I have seen up till at least sixteen foot or, or taller. And but some some of the beings I have seen are, despite their height, are still quite slim. They are not like very not bulky, uh, as maybe some would expect. It makes me also wonder when we talk about the the Nephilim, the giants of the Bible if they have not been also retracted back into the inner earth. And because... Mm -hmm. No. I, and I remember another experience, mm -hmm. and it goes back after 9-11. I was brought by my handler, Dick Cheney, to the Pentagon. And one of my other uh, recorder altars were brought out because there was a meeting going on in order, there was uh, they were creating a, a new division that were sent in countries as Iraq and Afghanistan, and that would exist out of special forces within the Air Force uh, units, within the Black Berets, what is a UFO retrieval uh, unit in origin, and also Green Berets and Navy SEALs. And they were created, this new unit was created uh, in order to be placed behind the lines in Afghanistan and Iraq in order to hunt down Nephilim. Uh, but what they, but, uh, this goes back uh, to uh, intelligence reports that the, that the uh, MI6 had intercepted and, and also uh, agents that worked under the British uh, 
the Rothschilds, etc., about the Soviet Union when the Soviet Union were uh, when they invaded Afghanistan. I think in the 1980s, late 1979, I think 1980, around that time, and the Soviets came across giants, the same giants that the Bible talks about. So through this. Uh, yeah, the Americans and the and the English intelligence knew. Now, yeah, knew of course through those reports that there were uh, giants, or what we call giants or Nephilim, were still on this earth and roaming around us in countries such as Iran, Afghanistan, Iraq, and that is also part of the reason why we invaded those countries as well. It's not only because of the so-called war on terrorism but it is for what was there hidden in the mountains and deep below and so now yeah, to come to come back on the inner earth I believe that those countries also hold probably doorways uh, again also to, to the inner earth as well and that some of the giants are in certain pockets within the inner earth So you touch on so many points um, just right off the bat. You're suggesting that inner earth has multiple access points, one of which was on the Windsor estate where this beam would essentially transport you and others from the surface world to the other side of what I would guess would be called earth crust. And uh, talk to me about access points. Are you aware of other potential access points to a hollow or inner earth? Um, I think there are a number of them. Um, the Nazis knew about them, for one. That is why they created certain underground bases around the, around the planet not only for their escape for after the war, if they would lose. Uh, I think uh, under the uh, rainforest in Brazil, where the Nazis created a number of uh, bases, also they used underground bases that were already there. So they were, some of them were already created and go way back, thousands of years back. So <clears throat> I believe the bases that were already created there before the Nazis came, are connected with some of the inner earth civilizations. Uh, then, of course, in certain locations, as I already mentioned, uh, where the Soviet troops in the 80s, uh, early 80s, uh, came across uh, the Nephilim or the giants. Uh, so, so I, yeah, I, I believe what we call Sumeria, Iraq, and the areas has certain entry points. Uh, not a major one besides on the poles, the South and North Poles. Uh, we got also under Tibet. And I believe this was one of the main reasons why Tibet was invaded by China. I think maybe also Claire maybe told, talked about this as well. I'm not sure if she did, but one of the main reasons that Tibet was invaded by China was that China wanted to gain access to the uh, exit points uh, under Tibet and the certain mountains in Tibet 
but also gave access to uh, Shambhala and Agartha as one of the two places. And uh, there is an entry point deep down under the Egyptian pyramid, what also the Illuminati scientist has been looking for. What also could hold uh, another hallway, what is known as the Hall of Amenti and the Hall of Records. Hmm. And this also, again, is connected with entry points for the inner earth. Now, this is, this is all really fascinating. So I'm um, <clears throat> sitting there, uh, and, and, and this is actually with another individual who is not Robert. And um, I'm, I'm going through asking, are these continents associated with inner earth? And one of the things that we've landed on that um, just about everybody agrees with that that is a survivor is that there are 13 continents in inner earth i i've asked this question in different systems in different contexts and the answer keeps coming back 13 and yes and uh, with one individual that had further knowledge I, I began to ask through different names of continents and locations in inner earth and uh shambhala and agartha were definitely confirmed as locations by it's a separate individual um in addition to a, a quite an interesting slew of continents and um the names include asgard which is associated with norse mythology again and um even occurs in marvel comics as a realm <laughs> but then uh, we also ran into babylon and lemuria as continents in inner earth uh, atlantis sangin midgard linden these are just names that came up and one of the most fascinating ones that came up was hades as well as uh, uh plutusia and at vadabar they you know uh i i don't know if these are all separate continent names or if they're different locations and some of them multiple locations on one single continent and there's so many details i i'm so blurry on right now but data is beginning to come in um and and robert i wanted to ask you do do you think that maybe different access points on the surface of earth will drop a person off in different areas or continents or regions of inner earth that correspond. I think <clears throat> that could be very well uh, the case, especially if you got, as you said, with Babylon and what was it Sumeria you mentioned? I think that could be connected with maybe entry points. What is in the uh, general area, what we now call Iraq, Afghanistan and Iran. Uh, another, of course, another entry point is, of course, the Himalayas uh, on the border of India with the neighboring countries. That is another major entry point. And also another uh, entry point is in the Caucasus Mountains with southern Russia. Wow. The, so with uh, Georgia, not the state of Georgia. But the country Georgia, what is southern uh, 
in the southern part of uh, Russia, or the former Soviet Union. So yeah, the Caucasus Mountains has also a major entry point. And uh, our uh, surface history has certainly a lot to do, uh, has a lot to deal with. Now, when we take our so-called mythologies, has to do with a lot of the inner earth civilizations there. Some are, you could say, predate, certainly a number of them predate the surface of civilizations, but I also believe that others may came from somewhere else as well. In that way, I think when we take the inner earth civilizations, it is a mixed uh, bag, if that makes sense to you. Well, of course. So, so folks, here's something that I find very fascinating. Two, two points. Philippians 2.10 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. Uh, so clearly in Philippians, Paul is not ignorant of life, entities, and um, other things under the earth. So, so he just <laughs> sticks it right in there as if it's, it's kind of matter of fact. As matter of fact, it's like, yeah, there's these under the earth and they're going to bow too. But in the book of Genesis... It, it says in Genesis 7, the waters prevailed 15 cubits upward and the mountains were covered and all flesh died that moved on the earth. So when you talk about what the flood accomplished, it killed everything that moved on surface world. But there's no mention about anything occurring in the inner earth during this flood, which adds to the speculation of were some of the Nephilim before the flood possibly moved to an inner earth location before the flood hit and maybe other areas around you know what we would call outer space other planets I, I, you know there's no way to know but some of these questions are now beginning to come to the table and you know, another thing, and I'm going to ask you your opinion on this, Robert. There are uh, allegedly 13 root Illuminati bloodlines. Yes. Do you have any suspicion that some or all of these are associated with inner earth? I think the majority of them, and then I talk about probably 90%, has certainly roots or has certainly connections to to the inner earth and to some of the races there. And now I can tell you, now one thing I'm not sure if Claire mentioned this. At one point, that was in one of the first trips, uh, I think, or the second. Now it was in the early early trips uh, that was on from one of the two castles of the Windsors. Uh, that Queen, that Queen Elizabeth II was, I was with a group of five, six others, a uh, few other kids on one trip, uh, also Queen Elizabeth II was with us and, and a few others. And what I remember when we were transported in this beam, because this happened under one of her castles, 
way deep down uh, below. And as, as I may said, yeah, the room was a circular room. Uh, the ceiling must have been at least 30 feet plus high uh, of this particular room. And also, I've, I'm not sure if Claire has mentioned, uh, is that also the floor can retract upwards as a platform and it can retract in size from 8 feet up till even 20 feet or more. And then the, the the beam also can vary in size as well, depending on the group, or depending on the object or the group of people that will be beamed, will be cut in, cut in the beam and brought where wherever it is sent. But I noticed when we arrived at a certain location, is that apparently the beings or the group of they look like us humans, they were much bigger in size, but they they seem to know who this person Queen Elizabeth II was. So in, in this instance, from my experience, that seemed to indicate that in this case, certainly Queen Elizabeth had a connection with this particular group of uh, human humanoids or humans uh, where we were brought under the earth in the, in the earth, in, in this in the earth uh, realm or uh, whatever country or uh, continent we were, yeah. because they, well, well, they see they they certainly seem to know who she was. What I remember from my own experience in this particular one, and in this case, because of course on the surface world she's venerated as the queen of England and yes. so forth. In inner earth what kind of esteem did they attribute to her? Was it one of just familiarity, like, oh, well, yeah, we know who she is, or is it, was it like, she's the queen? I, I, I mean, what... Uh, no, I got the feeling that they certainly knew who she was and what she also was in our, in, in our service world, because they treated her with a certain respect. Huh. So... They certainly were very aware about who she was. So I got a feeling in that in the, that particular instance, and I was then around seven or eight, I think, around that eight. Uh, on that particular occasion, is that, yeah, that she is somehow connected with them. And it was a race that was about probably nine feet tall. As I said, the, uh, the, the heights in various groups differ from what I have seen from seven feet up till even up till six, 16 feet, as I have seen. And but they all look human. Most of them look just human as us. They are always much bigger. Although I have also seen hybrid reptilians. And I also was told that some of them some of the non-human uh, and some, as I said, were what we call primates, uh, as I recall in one occasion. And sometimes they are being resurfaced on on the upper world, as they call this, the service world, and then disappear. And that is why some of those, what we may call a Sasquatch or, or whatever name we have, we give them, 
uh, at certain continents where sometimes they are being seen has never been captured because their original home as I believe to be seem to be the inner earth when we take when we take Yeti and and whatever name we give them depending on the location where uh, where they are being seen around the earth and that is why I believe that some of the beings are that elusive to us because they got the they got the connection and they can disappear back to the inner inner earth and I believe that is why we see as we Yeti uh and whatever others we have that we will never see them fully because they can they can hide back within the inner earth and that is what I also was told and others well, and, and that's fascinating because that would suggest that certain creatures have an inherent capacity to open doorways and transport or translate themselves between surface earth and inner earth. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and did also explain why a we have never captured one of them. Uh huh. Yeah, also that elusive to us makes you also wonder even further. Uh, maybe if even maybe uh, yeah, yeah, creatures as Nessie maybe if they are maybe even connected to to the inner earth, because there are certainly seas and rivers and lakes. Also within the in the earth, so it makes me even wonder, like the Nessie, the monster of Loch Ness, and things like that, if they are even not connected to the inner earth. So, here's the thing, um, Admiral Bird, which we mentioned at at, at the outset, uh, documented. It, experiences concerning both the North and South Pole. Yeah, he was an explorer and an admiral in in the Army or Air Force. And he also, he was also the one, I think was in Operation High High Jump or whatever they call it, the so-called thing to the South Pole. And uh, according to some conspiracy theories, it was to kick the asses of the Nazis that fled there. And they came back within four or two months, I think. But yeah, the same admiral, he flown on two different occasions. And one trip, if I'm correct, was in, into the North Pole, or at least to the opening to the uh, to the inner earth there. And I think the other in, on the other occasion was in the South Pole, if I if I'm correct. He died, I think, in the. 1957 I think and he was uh, told after his experience in his last one was I think in, in, in 1947 or something mm-hmm. and he was told the rest of his life to keep his mouth shut and his diary disappeared it in parts reappeared I think again and part of it has been published this is all so, true of course, sanitized. So, um, 
If you read his writings, it suggests that there are access points at both the North and South Pole to inner Earth, to yes. some other realm. Um, as a matter of fact, when reading his account of going to the North Pole, the uh, gyroscope, the, the, the magnetic thing that he was using to you know, navigate went nuts when he got close to the North Pole. He encountered crazy turbulence and he crossed a mountain in his plane and ended up in a valley with a small river running through it. And it was green and lush. And from there, he began to, at the alleged North Pole, encounter all kinds of things, a woolly mammoth type animal. And then he goes on and describes... Uh, meeting someone called the master and he says he's kind of Norwegian but he had a <clears throat> some some German stuff going on as well um, this kind of account does not line up with what you would expect from an earth that is a pure sphere because there should just be a cap at the pole instead it seems like he's going to the pole and entering somewhere else and in a place with beings that are not associated with surface world. And, you know, um, speaking of beings, you know, you've mentioned some reptilian, some uh, humanoid type beings. What do yeah. you remember of their culture? Like dress, um, language? Uh now, some some of the races I encountered, uh, some of their clothing, with some of them I've seen has remnants to, let's say, four or five hundred years ago, how they may could have dressed our cultures, especially the ones that were mainly operate as farmers and now mainly operating in outdoors when you got forested areas. Uh, but I've also been in in cities, and they uh, they are look much more modern dressed, uh, and their uniforms. I don't say that they look exactly like the uniforms that we have, but I also in some cases I have seen their people with uh, ropes, with ropes, uh, hooded ropes, and and things like that, and. Depending probably also on 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 their function as well, uh, but certainly I have seen what you could say look like a, a military uniform. The technology, depending on on the areas that I have witnessed, in the, some of the cities, uh, it looks even more modern or more advanced than what we have. I know we got now, of course, monorails at least in some cities. But I already saw this during the 70s and 80s uh, when I was brought to some of the places there. And it was almost as if it was out of a science fiction book or yeah, one of those strips, those novel strips and things like that. But I believe that certainly some of those civilizations are much further or way further be, uh, advanced than we are. And as I may say, I believe some 
may come from somewhere else off the earth, but I also believe that some are maybe much older than us, than service dwellers, and they originated maybe for earlier back in time as maybe some of the pre-Adamic races. Connected uh, to come back on another uh, important entry point is in California, and that is Mount uh, Shasta. Uh, that's another uh, another major en uh, entry point into some of the places of um, the inner earth. There's a city called, I think, Talos there. And they also claim that they are also connected to so well, I think, Atlantis and even the culture of Lemuria. But that's also a very ancient entry point. And there are throughout the U.S. other areas in Nevada and a few other places where there are in cave, deep cave systems, entry points to the inner earth. And there are their creatures, hybrid creatures. Uh, yeah, what are not nice if you if you encounter them. I certainly would not advise people to go into caves and try to find those entry points because I, I think if you come across what is called a Deros, uh, yeah, I don't think uh, you will make it in one piece or at least... I don't think it would be a good thing to come across those type of creatures. They are hybrid creatures. They remind me much to uh, the movie, The Time Machine, the original movie. Mm -hmm. And in, in that movie, depending on what, uh, how far you go back, you had various types of creatures. And the Daros is one of those negative type of creatures that you saw in that movie. But it has the Daros has been the Daros is a cross between a humanoid, except it cut a kind of a trunk uh, on his face like an elephant. What makes gosh. me wonder if it is not a cross, a hybrid between let's say a human and an elephant type of creature. But they seem to be very violent. So, wow. Go, go ahead. W was there more that you wanted to say on this? It's um, fascinating. No, yeah, when, I, when I was there on various number of occasions, uh, we were told some things, including about... No, yeah, that not all races are get, get on with each other, because they also said there are also races, like, like we have on Earth, that there is strife and struggle. So there's not, uh, not all races in, in Earth are all, all get, get on very well. As I said, there are also hybrid races like some of the reptilian races who seem to be uh, in strife with the humans, uh, with some of the human races uh, in the inner earth. But I would not ask, if people go to caves and try to find those entrances to the inner earth, I would advise people not to do it. And certainly not even if you are with maybe two or three others, because if you would come across those type of creatures, yeah, I don't think uh, it would be pleasant. So I certainly would not advise people to go on their own and try to find those entrances <laughs> on their own. Rats, I, I was really thinking about a, a, a bride ministry's cruise to okay. the North Pole. And... Yeah, yeah, it's probably a group. <laughs> 
and you and you are well armed. Uh, but if you are, let's say you think, oh, I I go with with a small group of friends, uh, with no, no, yeah, with no, not with no preparation, with no, no, yeah, uh, weaponry, and also the knowledge how to use them, of course. Otherwise, you could have friendly fire, and that's the last thing you need. But I would not go wandering off in a cave and try to find to find an entrance. Let's put it that way. So I want to ask about another uh, really interesting and intriguing piece of geography. Mount Hermon in the Book of Enoch is the mountain upon which the 200 watchers descended and bound themselves in a, uh, a, an agreement and then began to take wives. And that mountain has a gate. But it, that mountain remained in Caesarea Philippi at, at, at Jesus' time when he was walking the earth. Mount Hermon was located in Caesarea Philippi, which is actually where Jesus was when he said, um, on this rock, I will build my ecclesia and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And to the people in that day and age, Jesus was walking the earth, and this is history. Uh, they believed that Mount Hermon served as a gate to the underworld where their fertility gods lived and would rise to the surface world every spring. And so um, it had a lot of significance to the pagan mind in that day. And I want to just ask you about Mount Hermon. Robert, from your experience and knowledge base and um, what you have, I, I guess, encountered concerning that piece of geography. Uh, Mount, Her Mount Hermon is certainly one of the major entry points as well. And initially, I wanted to mention it earlier on. Thank God you brought it up. That is certainly another major point. And I think before the flood with some of the navalim, they may have used... The gate, one of the gateways, on that under, under that mountain, in order to flee into certain pockets within the inner earth, the ones that did escape when the flood uh, came, came over the earth. So there, and there are a number of other areas in in Africa, South Africa, some of the mountains over there. I think Zimbabwe is one of the other countries. South Africa and the neighboring countries are certainly also some of the places that got entrance points uh, to it. Nigeria and Ghana, so far I know, got an entry point in their in their border areas. So there are in Africa also a number of entry points as well. Again, South and Central America got a number of entry points. Brazil is one of them. And some of the mountains, mountain areas in Argentina, that go uh, that is on the side to the side of uh, Chile, Chile. Uh, that that cut entry points. Um, now, yeah, of course, we cut certain points uh, on the American continent, or um, I should say, the North American continent. Uh, then, now, yeah, in Europe certain points in the UK, 
areas in Scandinavia, but also areas the Lorraine uh, Lorraine Mountain area is another one on the border with uh, Germany and uh, and France. Uh, the mountains in Spain, I try to think of the name on the border with France. Uh, let's see what the, what the name of the mountain is over there. So yeah, the, the, the border range of France and Spain and the mountains over there got another entry point. Nice. I try to think of the name, the mountain range over there. Um, uh, Greece is an, is another point, and under under the major uh, the the main city over there, or what is the capital under there? Um, now yeah, what says Africa? Now yeah, Asia, of course, you got uh, the mountainous area uh, of North India, which is neighboring countries. Uh, I tried to think of uh, again the Himalaya mountains that got a number of entry uh, points. So there are quite a number of entry points that they, that we can get into if we know exactly where they are and how we can open them, of course, and also how they can enter from their inner world into our world. And uh, I think a number of them are quite old, quite uh, old going way back in time. And then I talk even uh, before Christianity came up, so going back to the time of early Sumeria, if not even further back to what we call the time area of Atlantis. So and maybe even to the time of Lemuria. So, <clears throat> okay, when Admiral Byrd visited the South Pole, allegedly, and of course, I believe it's true, uh, and they did high jump and they got hijacked and, you know, attacked by flying craft with beam weapons yes. and all this stuff, right? Um, I've postulated, what if the Nazis went to Antarctica to set up a base in collusion with certain groups, non-human groups, whatever, in order to guard an entry point to inner earth with that base. And then I, I, I thought, you know, wouldn't a craft like a flying disc be a great way to get into inner earth, particularly if you wanted to access it from either the North or South Pole? I just wanted to ask, uh, based on some of the things that Claire had shared with me, do, do you have any experience of being taken in a craft as a way to access inner earth? And if so, what transpired? Yes, on a couple of occasions. And that was a triangular type of craft, black. And that was with members of the French Rothschilds and the Medici family, the ancient other bloodline family. And it was in the 70s, late 70s. And it was at, if I'm correct, the North Pole. And what I remember when we entered beyond the pole, or beyond uh, what you already mentioned, where the compass goes crazy. Uh, at one point, we were uh, we we saw or the pilots, they they saw craft coming towards them, 
and speaking to them through the through microphone, through uh, yeah, the radio or whatever you call it. And they spoke apparently, they spoke with a certain accent. But they spoke English, but with an, not English as we speak, but with a broken German type of accent. Or, or something like that. And their craft was much more modern than that we have at that time. And that was in that must have been around 1978, if I'm correct, on, on this particular occasion. And we were brought, and we were also told we had to fly with them, and we were brought to a landing pad. And that was quite a modern city, with skyscrapers. What I said, if I but if I think back, the skyscrapers looked much as in one of the movies I had seen much later, a couple of years ago. I think it must have been fifteen years ago, called the, the Fifth Element. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that movie, but that plays in Earth in the twenty third or twenty fourth century, I think, mm-hmm. New York. Mm-hmm. And it got certain type of skyscrapers, and the skyscrapers that I saw was a cross between what I saw in that movie, The Fifth Element, but also what I have seen in some of the Star Wars movies, what port- portrays this planet city. Uh, I try to think of the name, but where in the Star Wars universe they got then the capital, the let's say the government. Citadel, and you had in in the, in, in those uh, Star Wars movie that particular planet with those skyscrapers and things like that. And the skyscrapers I saw when we landed looked a combination of what I saw in one of those Star Wars mo- movies and in the Fifth Element. If I have to compare it, but those beings they looked much like us. They had long blondes hair, long hair, uh, except their eyes were slightly slanted, if I recall, and were dark, and those beings were about eight feet tall, if I recall in size, in this, in this particular uh, occasion, and they had brown type of, brown colored uniforms on, with a, a palette on the shoulder, if I recall, and uh, their craft didn't make any noise. So I, I get a feeling that their drive must have been kind of anti-gravity type of uh, drive because I couldn't hear any sound or saw any moving parts, except I, I heard a, a kind of a humming sound around it. Did, that, uh, that is that is the craft that made us land, two of them, on on this particular platform, and that was oval in form, did, like a pear shape. Oh wow! That is, if I take the form of the craft, it, it was oval in in form. I mean, a pear shape and. Now, yeah, that's con- connected with the craft, but what I said, uh, the buildings, yeah, that was 
as I saw in combination as what I saw in some of the sky skyscrapers you see in some of the Star Wars movies and what I also saw in the movies as as the fifth element. Did these and, entities and, Oh okay. Yes? I, 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 I'm sorry, I thought you were finished. Uh, yeah, ask uh, what you want. Okay. Did these entities have weapons? And if so, what was the nature of them? The, now, again, the, the weapons that they had were not as we have. Uh, they they look more like ray guns, that type. Again, so far I have seen the civilizations down below are much more advanced than us. And... I've, I certainly hundreds of years, if not even a thousand years or more, ahead. They, they may look similar. They look slightly like a, what you may think as a gun, but so far I could see they were not as we are. What we use as a revolver. I think if we if we develop further in our technology and in shape, probably within a couple of hundred years. Although some of some of their weaponry, well, what I have seen over there, we already use in our underground bases because I have seen a similar form uh, with some of the guards in Dalsy. And that was already an earlier form of what you may call like a, a ray gun or a laser gun, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because. Wow. Yeah, within Dalsy they use different type of weapons, especially in the deeper parts, as I have witnessed, than 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 we use in, below ground. So, but if I have to make an estimate, the weaponry what I use is based on on ray or laser type of technology. Yeah, certainly I think if it would hit you, it would burn a hole in you. So that should say something about their technology. Now, talking about that world, uh, it, it, okay, when the spies went into the promised land, they, the Bible records that they took back a vine of grapes and they put it on a stick carried between two men because they were massive. And... I'm wondering what the nature of vegetation that you witnessed down there was. Was it similar to surface world or bigger? Uh, what I have seen, mm -hmm. especially in, in the forest areas, the trees are much bigger than here. I think an average tree over there is maybe something that you have in, in Northern California with the big redwood trees, but then what we call those big redwood trees would be for them just a regular tree, if that makes sense, in size. But what I have seen with trees, now yeah, to come back on one of the cities I have seen and, and some of the beings, especially the one that looked more like that, that also lived combination of forest type of area but also partly with a city type of combination of both in in one occasion I saw a monorail going also over a river 
But uh, the beings over there were at least, so far I could t tell, 14 up till 16 feet tall. So you can imagine when I was still very young and I was still small uh, then, how, how big it looks, of course, for, for someone like me then. And so I got a feeling when we talk about yeah the, the, the biblical size Nephilim, some of them are, no, yeah, some of the races on the inside in the inner world, they got a biblical size of 16 or even bigger feet in in size. And uh, the Naya, the monorails, uh, what I said, they look quite huge. Although for, they look big for, for me, but they are proportional to their to their own size as what we have in, in our in our world below, uh, above. Uh, when we take our trains, our metros, uh, so the, their size of transportation is uh, proportional to, to to their own size. But when I when I was there, by looking now back and thinking now backwards, I now start to realize what the spies, what the Bible talks about. Yeah, when they went into into the promised land, and they went in there and they saw the navel in and that what made them feel like grasshoppers. I, I can see yeah, what the Bible is talking about because that is how I felt in comparison uh, what I had seen uh, over there. And the 16 feet, I was told, there are even beings that are even much bigger, even much bigger than that. So, uh, I... I I remember from my Montauk experience, especially when I was brought to the off-world base on Mars, some of the naval limb I saw in, in stasis, they were 20 feet tall, and, and I was even told then, they had even some that were even bigger than that. So, so that, that makes you makes you wonder. Uh, I'm not sure the Bible, when we talk about the naval limb in the Bible, do you know what is the bigger size what is mentioned for biblical times? Um, well, in the book of Enoch, they they mention some that are as large as 200 L's. Uh, I don't okay. know what an L is, but... So those, are we talk about pre-flood then? Those pre-flood ones would have had to have been humongous. Yeah, so, so, and, and, and what about the post plot? Because they suddenly, somehow they survived and they came back. Um, I, I, and I, I believe it's in the book of Amos, they compare them to a certain type of tree, which I think was 30 to 40 feet tall. I forget the name of the tree. Yeah, yeah you can imagine with us. Yeah, on average about six feet. I'm, I'm under that. But for people with six feet, yeah, that certainly make us feel like grass grasshoppers. And yeah, as you mentioned, they with that they had uh, grapes, what were as big as a human or uh, a quarter of a human. Yeah, you probably with one grape, you probably can feed a whole family with that for a week, or at least a couple of days. Mm, mm, in in mm. comparison. 
to the size that we have, of course, now, and that we are. But yeah, everything that what I have seen is in proportion to their to their own to their own length and size. So let's talk about systems of worship. All right. So there's a lot of pagan cultures. Obviously, there's all kinds of societies on the surface of the earth that have done rituals to all kinds of things and uh, yes you have plenty of experiences we're not going to get into in this particular pr- podcast but in the inner earth societies did you see anything that had the semblance of a religious belief a priesthood temples so I on have and so seen, forth yeah what you may can, can call like temples in one form or another. I have not seen like a church in the way what we see as a church. And I have not heard the name, people mentioning the name uh, like Jesus Christ. But maybe they know him under a different name. I don't know. But I've, on the surface world, everyone knows the name Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. At least most of them. I don't think there are any, any pockets left in the earth that doesn't know his name, but I've never men- mentioned, have heard any beings below mentioning his name or that they know his name. But I have seen what you would call us pagan, what you may con- can call like pagan religions and pagan worships. And I-, I wonder if some of our pagan beliefs and the rituals that we do in a in the various pagan religions, if that is also not connected to the inner earth, and that some of the so-called gods that we do our offering sacrifices to, if they are also not some of the beings that live underground. That is so fascinating. Because, what I mentioned before, uh, with some some of the beings... uh, they 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 seem to remnants to uh to some of the Norwegian gods or Scandinavian gods, and also connected to the Teutonic uh, gods from the old Germanic uh, kingdom. But also again, we got different points on Earth that got different and entrances to different parts of the inner Earth. And when we take for for one the Vedic text. The Hindu text, uh, they also got their many gods, and there is, I think, one god in in the Vedic culture or Hindu culture that got a tree trunk, yeah, that looked like a, a kind of an uh, elephant. Oh yeah, Ganesh. Yes. What makes me wonder, except he got on blue skin, but as I mentioned before, we got those creatures called Deros, D-E-R-O. They are nasty type of creatures, but I wonder if Kness is maybe not even modeled to some of those creatures, because Kness, so far I know, is he is human but with an elephant head, and the Daros, they look they have a human body, but again their 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 face ending up, but we got a nose that looks like a tree trunk, or not a tree trunk but like an elephant trunk. Elephant nose, the trunk of an elephant. So I, there you got already, I think, an example of one creature that lives in the inner earth 
that could maybe modeled within, let's say, in this case, the Hindu culture as, as one of their gods. You know, and, and, and speaking of that, it is fascinating. I know that the Daros are real. As a matter of fact, I've received other reports about people encountering these entities in dumps, deep underground military bases where these entities yes. would be. Um, and, and, and so there are, I mean, other reports of this stuff. And, all the, you know, these worlds just definitely are intersecting. And they are not friendly. Oh my gosh! Okay, so now, so, but, but yeah, again, so I, I believe there's certainly a connection between when we take our pagan religions and the worship to the various gods, uh, and as I said, when you take the Daros with their trunk as a, as a, how an elephant looked like, but then with Ganesh, what is a cross between the human and an elephant in the way it looks, it could be modeled to the Daros. So one, you start to wonder how many of the other gods that we worship in the various pagan religions are maybe modeled to some of the inner earth creatures. Now, here's another question. Uh, justice. Okay, so if you have cities and entire cultures in inner earth and they're pretty evil. Uh, you would assume that some are more evil than others. Some might be a little bit disruptive to overall society and culture, kind of like we have on the surface of the earth. <laughs> Is there any kind of justice system? I know that might sound like a funny question, but it's a real question. Do they have yeah. things in place for well, that? What I have seen in some of the societies that I have seen uh, yeah, there is a. They do have a certain type of justice, what is could be said similar like us. Uh, if you got, of course, an element, disruptive element, uh, you have to deal with it. And again, the inner earth, I believe, is a mirroring, a mirroring, or mirror of our, uh, our, you could say, outer world, what we are. So, and again, as I mentioned before, we have the R races who are more positive and the R races who are also, unfortunate, more negative. And uh, so, yeah, they do have certain systems there uh, to deal with, with, certain, with certain elements uh, in the way that we do here. I'm not sure if they also have things like a death, death penalty. I've never witnessed anything like that. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest, because depending on uh, on what they have done, I guess they probably have certain crimes that probably, certain punishment that fits a certain crime. I've never asked about their judiciary system, what we have, but I have seen certain locations uh, what house? What do houses certain certain things, as we call like prisoners on on Earth? And again, there, there are also certain civilizations. Again, are yeah more negative. So so they do have certain forces, certain people that you could say are kind of an army in order to protect its uh, population. 
to the best of your knowledge, what is the Illuminati's interest with Inner uh, Earth? But what I've known from, certainly from my uh, interaction, uh, this is in combination, of course, with their masters, as the Draconians and others, of course, is that they, if the Illuminati could, they would try to invade the Inner Earth, especially for some of the uh, uh, minerals that, they, that, are, that are there. Uh, because, yeah, we are now on the surface, running out of certain precious uh, minerals, but they also know it's current with our current technology, not to mention their size, it will be very hard for them to try to take over uh, because, yeah, they are much more advanced than we are. That so far has, so far I know, hold a number of the members within the Illuminati back from invading the inner earth realms. But if they could, they certainly would have tried to take over because, yeah, they, they, they want the minerals that are uh, and yeah the precious minerals that are there in in their soil they they want them for their own use uh, so and certainly the draconians who operate behind the behind the scene uh, they certainly and they wanted even more than than the earthly part within the illuminati structure but so far what holds them back at least for the human illuminati part is that they are formidable in size. So even if they, they know if they would try, the battle would be very tough uh, for them to win. Especially when you take their size in comparison to us humans. You could say probably that's one of the reasons, of course, that they try to create those super soldiers. In, in part, although the, uh, the real agenda for the super soldiers, I believe, is... Uh, mainly in order to uh, to create this class of soldiers that can that will be used in the future when Jesus Christ and his angels comes back and then they can be used against them. But I wouldn't be surprised that another part of the super soldier program has been in order maybe to be used uh, in certain actions within the inner earth uh, civilizations. But yeah, if they could, they certainly would try to invade. My goodness. But there, there has been, so far I know, as I already mentioned, with that some of our Illuminati families has connections, of course, with some of the inner earth civilizations are already mentioned with uh, Queen Elizabeth. So there are also others, other like the Medici uh, family, and a few uh, and a few other families that got certain blood connections with some of the other uh, locations. But yeah. yeah, if they could, they would try to take over. And but they also realize right currently that that will not be feasible because the the price will be much too high, if any, if they would be able to win. So that for the moment holds them back. And to come back on your other question before connected with the Nazis, yeah, with their base two two eleven, uh, yeah, they are also connected with an uh, inner Earth race, 
but probably could be the Dra- one one of them could be split off with the Dracos because the Nazis were in contact with two two different races. When we take the Frill Society, they were in contact with a race of beings from Aldebaran, what is a star system within the Bull constellation. But they gave them uh, technology based on the Frill. Uh, but they gave the technology not for purposes of war, but for for to be used for for good for peace. Unfortunate, the Nazis, as usual, everything that they get, but is good, is corrupted by them, including their technology. And at one point, the Aldebarans stepped back, and the Nazis found a new ally, what was later than the Draconians who gave them then certain technologies that could be used for war. And those, uh, the, the connection that the, that the Nazis had later on with the Draconians, that's uh, again connected with A, the base, what is underneath Antarctica, and also some of the factions of the Dracos are also within the inner Earth as well, and I believe could be in some of the regions in our southern hemisphere. Which is even more fascinating when you consider uh, the possibility that the Sumerians were also influenced by Aldebaran. Yes. Creating a, a link between that ancient civilization and what the Nazis were trading into. Now, yeah, Maria Orsic, who was the main psychic for the Frillinen, as they called themselves as, as women, they were the inner group of the Frill Society, which was the inner circle within the Tula Society, and they were main, they were mainly females, and highly psychic, as mediums. And in one of the meetings in 1919, I think it was Maria Orsett who says that the Aldebarans they also were the ones that were behind the Sumerian culture, as she told to the inner circle. Man. So there, in a way, the circle is round. What makes you also wonder if they maybe also created a subculture below the Earth, in the inner Earth, what it could be one of the subcontinents, what is called, as you mentioned, and other survivors have mentioned as Summer or Sumeria. Hmm. Now... I mean, there are so many questions that like, you know, and, and uh, I, I'm just trying to <laughs> stay in one, you know, organized fashion here. I, I do want to touch on one more thing for sure. Um, the sun. Okay. So if there is an inner earth and there's light, there must be some kind of central sun. Obviously, I began this program by saying I, you know, we're in a ministry session and someone's spirit is getting delivered from a prison inside of that sun in the inner earth. I, okay. There is relevance, folks, to this conversation. It may sound like stranger than fiction stuff or just really interesting mythos. No. Some of you that listen to this program are tethered to inner earth stuff. And there is a reason why this conversation is important to have. Now, um, 
Robert, in your experience, you know, if if there's a central sun, it wouldn't really have the opportunity to set uh, since it's always in the center. Did did you have any experiences of day and night whenever you went to inner earth? Um, I, I, I just have that question. Night is not exactly as as here on on the surface, of course. Yeah. Yeah, because we are a ball in this big uh, universe. But you, you, there is, you do experience some type of shifting within the uh, within the atmo- inner atmosphere. But it is more in in density of light from light to, to slightly more dimmer. As you have a lamp that you can uh, work with, that you can put a lamp on, on very bright, hmm. and you can dim the light. To much lower uh, brightness, and and that is how I experienced on the inside. But it is not that suddenly a, a black sky comes up with dots of stars. It's not in that way. It is only the density, it's only the intensity of light, what seemed to uh, change. And also, the sky is very. Uh, you can have clouds, but also the sky has a kind of uh, reddish purple type of color at at certain locations. Wow! But but again, yeah, what I said, it is not like day and night as as we have on on the surface. It's not it's not in that way. So from from that point, but yeah, some uh, now what I said, some of the other entry points is on the border of South Africa, and if I'm correct, is Botswana, in one of the mountain areas over there. So there's another entry entry point. Now of course, South Africa in the human history, of course, seemed to have also an important part connected with going back, I think, with the Anunnaki's. If I'm correct, but there are entry points all over the, all over the earth, and so they're not only here in Europe or certain points in in the U.S. Besides, also the northern and South Pole, and as I also mentioned, of course, Tibet and and India. But yeah, again, I would not advise people to go in, into cave systems on their own. And try to look for those entrances. Uh, certainly not uh, if you are on your own, <laughs> because uh, I would Naya, unless you want to come across a darrow and and uh, Naya, they are quite powerful, more powerful than we are, in strength and violent. So I would not advise people to go on their own. And as you mentioned, you want to go with a bright. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> if you go, make sure that uh, that you got enough uh, manpower also with weapon skills, because <laughs> you're probably going to need it. Oh my gosh! Come across darrows and, and, and other genetically created creatures. Well. 
And, and here's the thing that really gets me on this whole conversation. And, and, and folks, allow me some uh, creative license here. The Bible says the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. Psalm 115, 16. Now, in speaking of earth or Eretz in Hebrew, he's speaking of this entire construct, inside and out, which to me, and this could just be me, but I don't think it is, suggests that if there are other entities and groups squatting on components of this place, that is not heaven in alignment with earth. That's a deviation. And I can only wonder what God has in store as he unfolds his plan for this age and this time. Um, it certainly keeps growing and going further and further beyond my expectation because every time my grid expands, so does my understanding of the redemptive plans of God. And one of the passages that came to mind recently as I was pondering some of these thoughts was the knowledge of the glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And one question that no theologian seems to be able to answer adequately is how is it that waters, plural, can cover a sea, singular? And what does that have to do with the glory of God covering the earth? And I have recently pondered what if the waters of the surface world cover the sea of the inner world, and truly the glory of the Lord is to be revealed in all the earth. And so I think that in the redemptive plan of Jesus Christ, we're not only talking about a surface earth redemption, there is a cleaning out that is coming at some point um, before or after the return of Christ, I don't know to the things that we're talking about, but the the fact of the matter is, folks, I'm convinced this is real, where I'm running into it with multiple people. You have just heard an incredible retelling of memories and experience associated with this place. It, it's much more than speculation, and it has undeniable implications on deliverance ministry. And those are my final thoughts. Um, Robert, do you have any final thoughts? Um, not that I can. No, I, I will press the people that, yeah, do more study on it because I believe in the years to come we're going to see, yeah, we're going to see more things coming from 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 the inside of the earth coming to the, no, yeah, come to the surface. And we're already being uh, prepped for this. But you already mentioned books and, and films. Uh, the movie uh, Bright from 2017, I believe, is one of those movies that already is telling us for certain things to come. To come. Uh, connected with this subject, there's still so much to talk about. I probably could fill a second 
program on this on what what is still to tell, uh, especially on the on some of my other memories. But uh, yeah, people keep an open mind on on things and also ponder on the things by. If you had already uh, a feeling when you were reading the books by Tolkien and the books by uh, the, the, non, the Chronicles of Narnia and you had an uh, affiliation with it, ask God why that is. Because I don't believe that it's without a reason why people are being drawn to it. Because there is a kernel of truth to all of this. Hmm. And to survivors also, if you got memories about this, write them down and talk also through them uh, with your uh, counselor. And also see if you can go with God's help, see if you can shift out also what your part is with this as well. Because again, I'm not the only survivor out there who have my own experiences with the inner earth and with the various beings. And for, for this moment, I want to leave it with this, but I got still much more that maybe can be talked in future times on this as well. Well, Robert, you will be back. Folks, with that said, you have been listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. And until next time, God bless and Godspeed. You've been listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. If you would like to connect with us at Bride Ministries or to support what we are doing financially, visit us at www.bridemovement.com.